All right. Well, this morning's sermon is perhaps the, one of the more simple sermons that you're going to hear. Just as Jesus is finishing his sermon on the mount, what he's doing is, is he, he really is covering in these verses one of the most scary verses uh, in the Bible for Christians. Um, this is arbitrary, of course. There are going to be a lot, of, a lot of contenders in the Bible for scary verses. Um, but I think at face value, if you don't really know exactly what Jesus means, and certainly if you read these verses out of context of the rest of his Sermon on the Mount, let alone uh, the rest of the context of all of Scripture, then verse 21 specifically is going to be a little frightening for you. But here's my hope for you uh, with the rest of the, of, of the time that we have together is that you would recognize the severity and the seriousness of Jesus' teaching, but at the same time that you would be able to understand his words. And then that would lead you to feel the peace and the comfort that comes with God's words as they're provided for us here. So let's read these verses together. It might be a little bit scary, but we're going to tackle it together and then we'll jump in. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Jesus reveals to us the reality that not everyone who says Jesus' name will enter into heaven. Even when that name is invoked with a lot of confidence and backed up by particular actions, it's possible for someone to think that they know Jesus and for Jesus to respond by saying, I never knew you. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to technology. So at our house, we have like the little ring doorbell. So if someone comes to my front door, I get a little notification on my phone. And sometimes people arrive at the door that I don't recognize. Uh, and they might say, hey, Pastor Tommy, um, I'm here to hang out. Like, let me into your house. And now after having a couple of little kids, I'm a little bit more cautious than I used to be. So I might ask them, sorry, who is it? Like, I'm not really sure who you are. And they might say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's Sebastian. So let me in, Pastor Tommy. Now my like dad's sense is tingling because I don't know anyone named Sebastian in my life. Uh, and so what do I do? To be very honest, I'm not going to let them into my house. I might go out there and talk with them. I might say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'm just kidding. I, I'm not, that's probably not what I'm going to say. But the point is this. It doesn't matter if they know my name. It doesn't matter how much they know about me. If I don't know them, then I'm not letting them into my house. Now, my illustration is, is based on my limited knowledge okay, of the situation, but what's different for Jesus's illustration, what's happening for Jesus when he will turn people away is actually, it's made from his complete knowledge of everything. And in his complete knowledge, what's exposed is that even when people know Jesus's name and call out to him, it does not automatically mean that they are Christians destined for heaven. So to use the language from last week's text, they haven't entered by that narrow gate. They haven't traversed the narrow and hard way. They're not producing good fruit as those who are in Christ do, those who are genuine followers of Christ do. Jesus' name is not an incantation. 
It's not a magical word as if saying the word Jesus is a mystical password that then gets you into heaven. This reality can be scary, but it does make sense, especially after reading last week's verses, which revealed to us that there are, there are not many different ways to God. We don't get to define what it means to be in a relationship with God. God is the one who defines what it looks like for us to be in relationship with him. So we don't get to go, hey, God, I belong in heaven. But it's God who determines whether or not we belong in heaven. Now, many of us in this culture today don't really like this one bit. It, it can go against what we would find comfortable, maybe even against what we might feel is right or fair. Like, how dare someone tell me where I ought to go? There's a marketing campaign for Under Armour a couple years ago. It, I think it captures the heart of many people in this world. The, 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 where there's a will, there is a way. So if I want something enough, I will do whatever I want to do. It, it is up to me to make that happen. But the Bible doesn't really have room for this type of mentality. No matter how much we want it to be available for us in Scripture, what we see in God's Word is that Jesus doesn't have room for a third path. This is what we talked about last week. There's either the wide open gate which leads to destruction or the narrow gate that leads to life. And that reality can be scary. But here's what's scarier. What Jesus is revealing is that there are people who think that they know Jesus, and that these people will also think that they've committed themselves in some pretty substantial ways to Jesus, and they're still going to be turned away. Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Like you would think that if you are prophesying on behalf of God, if you are casting out demons, if you're doing mighty works, all of that in Jesus' name, that for sure you would be on the list of people that are allowed to enter into God's heavenly kingdom. That is the line of reasoning for the people that have, based on, uh, th that these people have, that, that's based on what they've done for Jesus, that they must have somehow earned a spot into his eternal kingdom. But that is not how the gospel works. It is not about what we have done. It's all about what Christ has done. It's not about our confidence in our works, but it is confidence in Christ's work. And if we haven't placed our confidence in Jesus and the work that he has done on the cross for us, then our works mean nothing. If we haven't entered by the narrow gates, which is Jesus, this is what we talked about all last week, then our works, no matter how great and incredible they are, don't mean anything. The reason is because appearances are not everything. They actually can be deceptive. That's what we're seeing here. Not only did we talk about wolves in sheep's clothing last week, so these are people who have the appearance of sheep, meaning they have the appearance of holiness and purity, even of faith, but in reality, inside they are ravenous wolves seeking to devour the people around them. Jesus is later on in his ministry going to warn us again. He's going to be talking about, um, in, in Matthew 24, verses 23 and 25, he's talking about the end of time, what the world is going to look like right before he returns, and he says this, 
Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Paul talks about this as well in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one. So there's a connection there between uh, the lawless one here and also in verse 23 where he says, Depart from me, you workers of lawless, lawlessness. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so powerful signs of miracles and wonders will not ensure that someone is of God. Satan can perform miracles. Demons can do supernatural things. That's what we see in Scripture. So salvation is not ensured in or attained by supernatural displays of power or miraculous signs and wonders, even when they're apparently done in Jesus' name. Now, if that is true, then the question that we need to be able to answer is, how is salvation then attained? How can we, to use the language of Jesus, enter into heaven where the Father is? You see a very clear message from Jesus, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So remember what we said last week, Jesus is the narrow gate by which we must enter through in order to enter into eternal life with God. He is the doorway. The doorway is not good works, no matter how miraculous or incredible and amazing they are. It is not in how much we serve at church, not how much we uh, give our resources to the poor, not in how much we sacrifice, not by any measure of anything that we're able to do. The way that we enter into heaven is through Christ, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the question is, but how can we be sure can we be sure? I think the scariest thing that we see in these verses is that people that Jesus is sending away into eternal punishment, they were sure that they were entering into eternal life, but they were wrong. I mean, talk about the worst thing to be wrong about in your life. So is there a way for us as Christians, as a, really for anybody, to have assurance that we are not being deceived like them? And the answer is a resounding yes. There is a way. What we see in the Bible regarding our relationship with God is that it is not a gamble. It is not a hopeful Hail Mary. Um, it's not a, I'm going to try my best and then wait for the results. I can't tell you how many times I took an exam and I had no idea how I was going to do. Like, I might pass and that would not surprise me. I might fail. It might not. It might surprise me. This is not what it looks like to have a relationship with God. We are not rolling spiritual dice and then standing outside of heaven wondering, hmm, I wonder how those are going to pan out. I wonder if I'm going to be able to get in. There is a way to know. And as if Jesus anticipates the anxiety that verses 21 
through 23 might produce, he ends his sermon with one final illustration. This is what we talked about with the kiddos a minute ago. Look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What Jesus is saying with this illustration here is that there are going to be two people. There are going to be those who hear Jesus' words and do them and those who hear Jesus' words and don't do them. And the one who obeys Jesus' words is like a wise man building their house on the rock, on a foundation of solid rock. And the one who doesn't obey Jesus' words is a foolish person building their house on sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew, the house on the rock, it's going to stand firm, it's going to stand strong, but the one on the sand collapsed. This is perhaps one of Jesus' most straightforward illustrations. It's easy for us to follow. You, you don't need to be an engineer to understand what's happening here. But how does it fit into the context of what Jesus is talking about? What does this mean for us today? If you take this out of context, I think that you will miss how incredibly comforting these verses are. Some Bible teachers are going to come in and interpret this primarily by saying, if you build your life on Jesus, who is the cornerstone, you see that language in 1 Peter verse two, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 4, if you build your life on the cornerstone that is Christ, then you will be able to endure the storms of life because your life here on earth is going to be solid and strong. And I think that that's true to some extent. Like, if, if, if Christ is your confidence, if you have a relationship with the God of the universe, that will make you more emotionally resilient to some of the in, inevitable storms of life. Why? Well, because if, if Christ is your, if he is the person that you're in a relationship with, then he is your in, great encourager. He is your great comforter. He is our advocate. He's our all in all. We sing a lot of songs about what Christ means to us. So of course, we're going to do better in life. We're going to be more resilient with him as opposed to without him. But while that is true in context, this passage is not an endurance text. Jesus is not talking about the hardships of life. Remember the trajectory of Jesus' words in the conclusion of his sermon. He's not talking about the storms of life. He's talking about the final storm of judgment. He's talking about heaven and hell. He's not talking about our temporary homes on earth. He's talking about our eternal home in heaven. And this is why it is important to remember the context. What Jesus gives us here is the ultimate assurance that we'll be able to enter into heaven and be with him for all of eternity. The ultimate assurance that our eternal home is not built on sand, but actually on solid rock. Well, how can we be sure? Look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Whoever hears Jesus' words 
His words about dying to ourselves and living for others, about being able to forgive others radically, about being generous with our time and our resources, about praying, about fasting, about not lusting or being angry, about treasuring eternal rewards and not just our earthly trinkets, about not being anxious. Like these are all things we've talked about all summer in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever hears all of God's words and all of Scripture and actually does them, meaning they heed them. They strive to live those things out. Those are the people who can have a rock-solid assurance that heaven is their final destination. Well, wait a minute. How can this be is maybe something you should be asking. Like we just spent the whole first half of this time talking about how we shouldn't have confidence in our works. So why would we now all of a sudden, why would it make sense for us to have confidence in our works and our obedience to God's word? Well, here's the primary critical difference. True Christians do not have their confidence in their works or their obedience to God. Our confidence is fully in Christ, but our obedience and our desire to live out God's words is evidence of the confidence that we have in God. So here's another way to phrase it. As Christians, obeying Jesus does not save us. But when we have been saved, we will inevitably desire to obey Jesus's words. That is the fruit of genuine salvation and conversion. These final verses are built upon the previous verses. They do not stand in isolation. This is a threefold illustration that Jesus gives us in the end of chapter 7 that helps someone discern their own salvation. You've got the paths, the trees, and the works. And these verses leave us with simple questions to help evaluate our own salvation, which can lead us to great comfort and hope. The first question is this, have I chosen to enter by the narrow gate? Who is Jesus? Have I placed my trust and my hope exclusively in the way, the truth, and the life? That is step one. Now, how do I know that I've done that? Maybe I've said that, but how do I know that that's not just lip service similar to the ones who are the deceived Christians that we just talked about earlier. Well, the next question we ask is, am I bearing fruit? You see this in verses 17 through 20. Because only good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Galatians 5 verses 20 through 22 through 23 is a great list of fruit that's produced when the Spirit of God dwells in those who are Christians. You see this, um, maybe you've memorized this as a song if you grew up in the church, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remember that? And maybe we look at our lives and <laughs> we're still not sure. Like, yes, maybe I, there's some of these fruits in our lives, like some of these fruit of the spirits in, in, from Galatians 5 in our lives, but maybe that's a coincidence. Like, maybe it's a fluke that I'm joyful one day or a fluke that I'm being gentle or a fluke that I have self-control. 
The ultimate good fruit of those who have placed their faith in Christ is verse 24 in Matthew chapter 7. Hearing and doing the words of God. That is the golden fruit of a genuine believer. If you are not a Christian, you do not care or even want to hear Jesus' words, and you certainly don't care to do them. But if you are someone who is hearing God's word, if you're reading God's word, if you're coming to church on a Sunday or going to midweek and hearing God's word, and, and you are doing your best by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit to live by his words, that is a telltale sign of a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. Some of you need to hear these encouraging, confidence-building words of our God. You might be genuinely concerned about your salvation. You might be genuinely terrified of where you're going to go after you die. And these are good concerns. I said at the very beginning of this is that my hope is that you would feel the weight and the severity of Jesus' words here. He is not just playing around. This is serious stuff. But here is the peace and the comfort that are going to be for those who believe. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is the one way that leads to true life, if you believe that, that he is the Christ and the Messiah, and if you hear God's words and you're, you're striving to live them out in your life and you're seeing that fruit, you are not building your house on sand. You're building your house on a rock-solid foundation. And you can have assurance that when the final storm of judgment comes, you will not collapse in your foundation. You will not be led to destruction like those on the wide and easy path who are building their house on sand. You will not bear bad, spoiled fruit like those who are not in Christ. Ultimately, you will not be turned away by Jesus. So take heart, brothers and sisters in Christ, you will not hear Jesus saying, I never knew you. But instead, you will hear him say, Josh, Cass, Charo, Donnell, Helen, Ben, Rachel, Sangun. These are some of the people that shared their testimonies of faith at our Meet Mercy House class yesterday. You will hear your name declared from the mouth of God himself, and he will not say, depart from me. But he'll say, welcome home. I told you I was preparing a place for you. I told you that I was never going to leave you or forsake you. And the sun that is in our heavenly home right now is never going to set on this moment because I will never cease to radiate my glory for your good. Here's what I want to do for us this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to have this assurance. If you've never had the chance to have a defining moment of giving your life to Christ, I want to be able to give that opportunity to you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. The worship band's going to play their music, and I, I'm going to be standing right here in the center. Other people are going to be coming down for communion. I want to invite you to come down. Walking down this aisle doesn't save you. Talking to me is not going to save you. Even me praying for you and celebrating with you is not going to save you. Jesus is the narrow gate, and the work that he has done to die for your sins and to forgive you of your sin, that's what saves you. 
But coming down front is going to give you the chance. If God is putting that on your heart this morning to make that internal reality of what has happened as you've placed your faith in God, make that an external statement for yourself, for the people around you, for the entire world, even declaring it to God and to have a defining moment of obedience to God's word and to have assurance in your heart of hearts that on the last day, Jesus will not turn you away. The verse that comes to mind in this moment is Hebrews 3, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I encourage those of you to come forward. If you've made a decision today, if you've made a decision over the past few weeks or even a couple months and you've never told anyone that, I want to encourage you to come down and to let me pray for you. Let me celebrate that with you, this awesome thing that God has done. We're going to give you a chance to do that in a moment. If you are a Christian, this is my final question to you, are you building your life on the rock? Are you hearing and doing the word of God? Or are you feeling the unsteady, the shaky ground of building on sand? We are all building on something, Mercy House. We're all building on something. Maybe it's school and academic success. Maybe we're trying to build our foundation on our careers. Maybe it's a foundation on financial security. Or maybe it's a foundation on our family. Maybe it's another path, another philosophy, another hope that's outside of the way, the truth, and the life. But brothers and sisters, everything outside of Christ is a shaky foundation that will crumble, not just in this lifetime, but on the eternal stage of judgment. And so I want to exhort you, maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're feeling the wobbliness of the foundations of your life. Maybe you're feeling that unsteadiness. Maybe you are a heap in the, in the muddy ground. I don't know how to refer to this. The pile of sand that you thought was a solid foundation has melted away, and that's what you're experiencing this morning. I want to exhort you to build your house on the rock, Mercy House. Christ, the cornerstone of our foundation of faith, he will not falter. He will not shake, but he will remain firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Let us all have the assurance of the wise man or wise woman who builds their house on the rock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning and this great opportunity to worship you, God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your people who you've brought together this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your words lead us to life, God. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that they would hear the invitation to know you. Lord, I pray that they would see this ultimate illustration as speaking to their inevitable faith, uh, fate, God. And I pray, Lord, that they would receive you God. I pray that they would decide to build their house on the rock and not the sandy soil of whatever they've placed their hope in in the past. I pray for the, those of us who have entered by the narrow gate, who have produced good fruit in seasons of our life, but are not building our house on the rock, God, who are not hearing your words and not doing them. Lord, convict us in our heart of hearts by your spirit. 
Lord, do this because you love us. Do this because you want to see us flourish. Do this because you want us to have a solid foundation and not to be wavering back and forth and wondering what's going to happen to us, God. Help us to receive your word this morning, God, and help us to obey your word. Help us to follow you, whatever that looks like, God. Lord, we need you to empower this type of behavior because it is impossible without you. So I pray that your spirit would dwell richly in us, God, and produce these good works of fruit and faith, and that that would lead us into a a solid, assured future with you, God. Help us to be encouraged by our salvation and to know that your mighty, strong hand will not falter, God. Help us to live out who we are in you. Father, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.